almost. Last night was Halloween and Paul's birthday and uh, obviously uh, Nancy's birthday as well. In less than a month, it'll be Thanksgiving and uh, Christmas will be here before we finish all the pumpkin desserts and pumpkin-flavored drinks, uh, unless the pumpkin shortage uh, weans us prematurely. But the primary holiday season of 2015 has begun. So how does it make you feel? Are you looking forward to one holiday after another, or do you dread the holidays? Are they a time of rest from your labors, or a season of overwhelmingly hectic activity? Now, the word holiday comes from the Old English for holy day. And holidays were originally seen as gifts from God, intended to bless and refresh us. Sorry to say, for many, the holidays have become more of a curse than a blessing. And that is exactly what happened to the original holiday that God gave to man. Written into the law itself was God's provision for a weekly holiday. In Exodus 20, 8 through 11, we read, Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male or female servant or your cattle or your sojourner who stays with you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that's in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. The Sabbath was a gift, a holy day, a day to rest from our labors and to simply enjoy the goodness of our God. But it wasn't long until God's blessing had become a curse. Greedy men and women thought it was a wasted day. And made it just another day to serve the God of Mammon. And religious leaders reacted by writing rules and regulations that turned it into a, a burdensome day of religious obligations. Well, in our text for today, well, I jumped ahead. They lost their holidays, and I lost my place. <laughs> They lost their holidays, and so have we. But perhaps we can reclaim our holidays by simply changing our approach to them. I had to get that in there for the kids who are filling in the blanks today. Well, in our text for today, we see three approaches to the Sabbath. And I believe we can learn something from the way the disciples, the Pharisees, and the servant approached the holy day. And we begin with the disciples' approach. We're in Matthew, the 12th chapter now. And at that time, Jesus went on the Sabbath through the grain fields. 
And his disciples began, uh, became hungry and began to pick the heads of grain and eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Behold, your disciples do what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. But he said to them, Have you not read what David did when he became hungry, he and his companions? How he entered the house of God and they ate the consecrated bread, which is not lawful for him to eat, nor for those with him, but for the priests alone? Or have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath the priests in the temple break the Sabbath and are innocent? But I say to you that something greater than the temple is here. But if you had known what this means, I desire compassion and not a sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Well, it was a Sabbath day. Most likely early afternoon. Jesus' disciples had no doubt been to the synagogue, as was their custom, and were probably headed home to spend the rest of the Sabbath day just resting. The pathway took them through a grain field, and as they were walking, the disciples picked a few heads of grain to eat. It was an innocent act. They were hungry. And the law made it clear that it was permissible to pluck a few heads of grain from your neighbor's field. Now, you couldn't wield a sickle, and harvest it, but you could eat a little. Now, it was the Sabbath. And the disciples probably knew that the Pharisees and the religiously correct would consider what they did to be working, you know, harvesting as they plucked the heads and threshing as they rubbed the grains together to loosen the shaft and, and then winnowing as they blew the shaft away. But they weren't working they weren't working. They were simply munching on a few fresh grains. And they knew Jesus wouldn't care. His attitude toward the Sabbath was not at all like that of the Pharisees. Well, sure enough, the Pharisees saw it. And they confronted Jesus and pointed out his disciples' despicable behavior. He said that they said to him, Behold, your disciples do what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. Now, I do find it interesting that the Pharisees held Jesus responsible for the behavior of his disciples. And I can't help but wonder how often Jesus is criticized today for the behavior of his disciples. But anyway... When Jesus was confronted about his disciples working on the Sabbath, he defended them. And he did so by exposing the Pharisees' ignorance of history, the law, and the prophets. Have you not read what David did when he became hungry, he asked? He took them back to the time when David was a fugitive running and hiding from jealous King Saul. How David stopped at Nob, where the tabernacle was located, and asked Ahimelech, the priest, for five loaves of bread. Ahimelech said that uh, all they had was consecrated bread from the table of showbread. The law stated that 12 loaves of bread were to be placed on the table before the Lord continually. And they were changed then on the Sabbath. 
And when removed from the table, they were to be eaten only by the high priest and his family. Well, due to David's urgent request and his need, Ahimelech gave David the bread that was unlawful for him to eat. So how did the Pharisees judge that? And what about the priests who worked on the Sabbath? Hadn't they read in the law how priests were instructed to stoke fires and slaughter animals and minister before the Lord on the Sabbath in violation of Sabbath day regulations? You know, how did they resolve that dilemma? Had they even thought about it? Well, I have, and whenever someone asks me if it's okay to work on Sunday, my standard response is, I do, (laughs) if you can call this work. And then Jesus pointed out that apparently they didn't understand what Hosea the prophet meant when he spoke for God, saying, I desire compassion and not a sacrifice. So Jesus appealed to a king, the priest, and a prophet in defending his disciples and in doing so demonstrated that his disciples were innocent. They weren't flaunting the laws of God by eating a few grains on the Sabbath. They were simply responding to their hunger and were enjoying the provision God had made in his law for taking a few Grains from a neighbor's field. They weren't working. But even if they had been, it would have been acceptable. Because like the priests serving in the temple on the Sabbath, they were serving him. And whether the Pharisees recognized it or not, the disciples were serving something even greater than the temple. They were, in fact, serving the Lord of the Sabbath. And what they were doing was pleasing To him. For just as the prophet had declared, the Lord was more concerned about a man's heart, his compassion, than his external observances, his religious sacrifices. The disciples' approach to the holy day was one of innocent enjoyment and heartfelt service. What could be wrong with that? Surely it was better. Than the Pharisees approached. Let's read on. And departing from there, he went into their synagogue. And behold, there was a man with a withered hand. And they questioned him, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? In order that they might accuse him. And he said to them, What man shall there be among you who shall have one sheep? And if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will he not take hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value, then, is a man than a sheep? So then, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and it was restored to normal like the other. But the Pharisees went out and counseled together against him as to how they might destroy him. Well, Luke makes it clear that this was another Sabbath day. The Pharisees have had time to consider what Jesus had said, but obviously they weren't open to what he had to say. 
They were the teachers of the law. And he had made them look foolish. He had exposed their ignorance, and now they wanted to get back at him. In the synagogue that day was a man with a withered right hand. Tradition tells us that he was a stonemason who had been injured on the job and was now unable to provide for his family. The Pharisees figured Jesus would do something to help this man. Some have even suggested that they planted him in the congregation to entrap Jesus. But be that as it may, they were watching and they were waiting for Jesus to do something they could use against him. Well, finally, they, they couldn't wait any longer. and They spoke up. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Is it lawful? Jesus answered by asking them a question. He said, if you had a sheep and it fell into a pit on the Sabbath, would you lift it out? Now, the scribal law actually addressed such a situation. It said if the animal wasn't injured, they could merely lower food and water to it. But if it was injured, they were allowed to retrieve it. So, yes. They could rescue an injured animal on the Sabbath. And then Jesus made it very clear that he valued humans much more than animals. The Creator himself had made a huge distinction between animals and man, and Jesus recognized it, saying, of how much more value then is a man than a sheep? And he wasn't asking a question. He was making a declaration. Men are much more valuable than sheep or plants or rocks or the environment. I found it ironic that I come to this text the same time I read that book I mentioned in my article this week. Our world is going crazy. <clears throat> Tipping things on its head. We depersonalize a baby in the womb and we give personhood to a rock and say it has rights. And if we violate it, we shall be charged with crimes against the environment. Crazy stuff. Well, Jesus, Jesus made it very clear. There's a huge distinction between men and animals and all the rest of creation. All of creation was given for the sake of mankind. Now, we are charged with being good stewards of it. But we're not going to be charged with sins against the environment as if they, the environment itself, as, as, as some would say, our, our, our earth is some kind of living organism that we're here to protect and that we have become an infecting agent and need to be done away with. Crazy stuff, crazy stuff, but I'm going off text, obviously. But it's a big issue, big issue, and I think Jesus makes it very clear here. Huge difference. Let us never, never forget that. Let's love our animals, but they're not people. Okay? They're not people. Anyway. Well, the bottom line was, yes, Jesus could 
heal someone on the Sabbath, and he proceeded to do so. Mark tells us that he told the man to rise and come forward, and then he looked around at the Pharisees with anger, grieved at the hardness of heart, and he said to the man, stretch out your hand. When he did so, he was healed, and the Pharisees were furious. Jesus hadn't even touched him. He hadn't done anything they could define as work, but they knew that he had healed him. So they left the synagogue and counseled together. They had to come up with some way to get rid of this Sabbath-breaking nonconformist. If they didn't do something and do it quickly, who knew how many people would start accepting his ideas and what would become of their sacred traditions? You see, it wasn't enough for them to personally be bound by legalistic traditions on the holy day. They felt everyone had to be bound by the same laws and regulations and traditions as they. And they were threatened by any who weren't. They did not understand the freedom we are to have in worship and service. They didn't realize what Paul would spell out in the 14th chapter of Romans, that it's okay for one man to regard one day above the other and for another to regard every day alike, as long as both are doing it for the Lord. They were doing exactly what Paul warned the Colossians to watch out for, telling them to let no one act as their judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath day. They had, in fact, done what Paul cautioned the Galatians not to do. They had become enslaved to the weak and worthless elemental things, like the observances of days and months and seasons and years. In their attempt to honor God on a holy day, they had dishonored him by enslaving his people to external observances that took the joy out of their holiday. And not only that, they were actually seeking to destroy the Lord of the Sabbath so they could observe the Sabbath the way they wanted to. It almost sounds like those today who, in an attempt to create a winter holiday according to their liking, Make a concerted effort to take the Christ out of Christmas. The Pharisees, you see, aren't only found in the religious community. Anyone who seeks to legislate what can and can't be done on a holiday is following the Pharisees' approach. But lastly, we see the servants' approach. But Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there. And many followed him, and he healed them all and warned them not to make him known in order that what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, saying, Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved in whom my soul is well pleased, I will put my spirit upon him, and he shall proclaim justice to the Gentiles." He will not quarrel, nor cry out, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A battered reed he will not break off, and a smoldering wick he will not put out until he leads justice to victory. 
and in his name the Gentiles will hope. Jesus knew of the Pharisees' plot to kill him. And he knew that eventually they would succeed. In fact, it was a part of his plan in coming to earth. But for now, he had other things that needed to be accomplished. So he avoided further confrontation by simply withdrawing from them. But many people followed him. And they needed his help, so he healed them all. But he warned them not to make an issue of who he was. Not to confront the religious authorities with his claims. It wasn't time for that to happen. For now, he was simply fulfilling what Isaiah had prophesied in the first of four servant songs found in the book of Isaiah. The one we are most familiar with is the song of the suffering servant found in Isaiah 52 and 53. This one, found in Isaiah 42, tells of the servant's attitude toward his ministry on earth. It says his desire would be well-pleasing to his father. And with the Spirit's power, he would proclaim justice to the Gentiles, to the nations. He would not, however, quarrel. Or get into loud arguments in the streets. He wouldn't fight and crush his enemies. At least, not now. Even though he was humiliating the religious leaders, he wasn't out to destroy them. They weren't like battered reeds after confronting him. Or they may have been battered, but he didn't want to break them off. They weren't the lights they had once been, but... He wasn't there to extinguish their flame. He hadn't come to bring judgment, but hope. He would proclaim judgment and justice at his first coming, but judgment itself would wait until his second coming. His current mission was to bring hope and rest. And that was God's intent in giving the Sabbath, the holy days. The holidays were given as gifts to give us rest and hope. And we shouldn't let the world rob us of what God has given. They certainly weren't given to be used to condemn us or to judge us. So we shouldn't use them to judge one another either. It's not our place to argue in the streets what should or shouldn't be done this holiday season. The holidays, and Christmas in particular, shouldn't be a time of judgment and condemnation and hassles and arguments. Holidays should be times of hope and joy and peace. And we can make them that way if we'll adopt both the disciples and the servants approach the holidays and reject the Pharisees' approach. Let's be done with a combative spirit that's always looking for something to criticize. It's awful easy for us to get arguing over silly things and giving to the world a picture of complete disorder and a lack of compassion when we become so narrow and judgmental that we're always criticizing everything 
that goes on in society. And when we criticize each other because not everyone agrees with us on how we should celebrate or what we should celebrate or when or where. And let's not get sucked in to the war on Christmas. (laughs) How silly is that? Instead, let's just walk through the holidays in the company of our Lord and let's enjoy our times of rest together. Now, Jesus is calling the weary to rest. Let's make certain we come home, at least spiritually, for the holidays. And let's find rest in him. Let's stand.